0: Imagine the turmoil of the soul when what you so desperately want to escape is yourself. Many Christians at some point in time in their lives will feel like they are in over their heads in their struggle with sin. And frankly, just uh, knowing what this is like, You too may know and feel this way. So trapped in your sin. And then the feelings of despair, of course, that overwhelms your soul. Maybe you feel like you're drowning in the sea of your own sinful desires. Constantly being weighed down from your guilt and your shame. Whether from your sin present or even from decades ago. Well, Christian, in our passage today, God reminds us that no matter what we we may feel, we can know, praise the Lord, that in Christ, we are never without hope. Despite our sinfulness, God is always faithful to save. And that is our main point, though long. I encourage you to jot jot down the main point. In Christ, we are never without hope. Despite our sinfulness, God is always faithful to save. I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in one verse today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, typically, we walk through books of the Bible in our sermons... Rocky, the main preacher, is walking through the book of Mark. Soon we're going to be walking through the book of Titus, which is super encouraging. I encourage you guys to memorize the whole book of Titus while he preaches it. But for the last handful of weeks, and then for today and the next week, we are in Counseling the Word, a topical series, Counseling the Word, Gospel Truths for the Journey of Faith And we've been looking at select gospel truths that we need to cling to, and we wanted to set these before you. We need to cling to and then help others do the same throughout our Christian lives. Last week, Pastor Ron preached for us from Psalm 51, and he held out the fact that God is steadfast in His love and mercy, and therefore we can go to Him in confession of our sin and in repentance. Now, this is where this week's sermon comes in. Now, while we may know, Christian, that God is, in fact, loving and that He invites us to confess our sins to Him, we know what it's like to still get discouraged as we wrestle with sin, maybe even those sins that we struggle with over and over again. And friends, it's in those times and in those seasons that, unfortunately, we wrestle, can wrestle with an ungodly sense of condemnation and guilt. Hopelessness, then, seems to creep in. And so in our passage today we have the opportunity to battle such despair with the promises of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Let's stand as we read this one verse in keeping with our regular pattern. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Praise God. Please be seated. Now, I need to say that that in its original context, this passage here functioned both as a warning as well as an encouragement and assurance. So you got warning and also encouragement. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, that is the Christians in Corinth, in the mid 50s AD. And the church was facing a whole lot of challenges, and a lot of them, frankly, had to do with their own sin. So, to those who might be a little hard hearted and numb to sin, maybe they're even making excuses for sin, like, oh, Pastor Rocky, I just had to sin. You don't know my circumstance. It was so difficult. I just had to. The passage functioned as a warning. But the passage also functions to encourage Christians as well as they continue to fight sin and an assurance that God is faithful. So continue battling. When it comes to the application, of course, we could apply this passage and these truths to the hard-hearted, to those numb to sin. But today I'm going to primarily be applying this passage to the discouraged, to the despairing those who may struggle with this ungodly guilt and condemnation that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians. But the truths, of course, remain the same. So you might be thinking, okay, well, Jeremy, I'm not particularly discouraged at this moment. Well, Christian, I hope that here as you are part and uh, part of this gathering as a community, I hope that this passage helps you know how to help those who may one day dis- be discouraged and who may one day feel like their sin is just so strong that they are despairing and drowning in the sea of their own temptations. I hope that you can know how it is that you can hold out this truth that in Christ, we are in fact never without hope. Despite our sinfulness, God is always faithful. So with that main idea in mind, let's look first at point number one, our sinfulness. Point number one, our sinfulness. It says there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the first line there, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, again, to the Christian making excuses for their sin, perhaps saying, You just don't understand. I had to sin. I had no other choice. This here is a warning. You are not alone, in fact. You are not going through anything different compared to God's people throughout all the generations before. But to those who are despairing, this verse actually brings a ton of comfort. You are not alone. And you too are not going through anything different than God's people in past generations. He is here to help. But in the Christian life and in our own struggle with sin, maybe you, friend, have felt incredibly isolated and so alone. You may feel like your particular sin is so bad, your guilt so intense, or your shame so deep, your heart so dark, Therefore, of course, we feel alone beyond help, even beyond the grace of God, if that were possible, which of course it isn't. I certainly have felt this way at various points in my own Christian life. Again, maybe you have too. Maybe as you wrestle with this reoccurring rage in your heart, directed even towards the most helpless in your home, Or maybe you have a burning jealousy in your heart where, frankly, it just turns out because we are sinful that you actually want others to fail just like you feel like you have failed. Maybe even to make yourself feel better. Maybe you cannot stop lying to others about who you really are. Or maybe there's the pure carnal lust That comes from you actually plotting how you might commit adultery in your sin. Friends, these these sins and these struggles can be so incredibly soul-crushing that some Christians wrongly think, God will never forgive me because of what I have done. Now, if you're visiting with us and you know yourself to be exploring Christianity, the truth is we struggle with sin and we will continue to struggle with sin all the way until our death and God brings us into glory. God does not promise perfection here on this earth. That's just the reality. But He does, praise the Lord, promise forgiveness. But it's a temptation, right? As we wrestle with sin, we can actually think, God will never forgive me because of what I have done. But guys, you know what? That instinct actually makes complete biblical sense when we fix ourselves on what we do or what we have done in an unhealthy way we can actually lose sight of what god has done in jesus christ in his great love right we can look at our sin and our struggle in an unhealthy way we can look at what we have done and of course that leads us to despair right because we can't do at the end of the day to please God in a way that reconciles us with Him. And when we're so focused on what we've done and we, we are led to despair, of course we're led to despair because we can't do the opposite. Right? And that, that of course, leads us to more condemnation. Not just for committing the sin, but then despairing because we know we can't do it. That leads to condemnation. Or we look at what we have done and we think, I've fallen out with God. I need to work harder to do right to get back in. Right, so, so you see there that the biblical reality is that we have every reason to despair because deliverance has never come from man. So despair, while we all understand that, we can also, according to the Bible, understand that of course we despair, naturally so, if we think the solution is finally with man. We were the ones who got ourselves into the problem in the first place. Why would we trust in ourselves, on ourselves for deliverance? So you see that seeing and evaluating our sin in an unhealthy way naturally would lead to condemnation. But seeing and evaluating our sin in a healthy way means that we can look at what we have done in all of its nastiness and that actually leads us to Christ and what He has done. That's why hope is, of course, not in ourselves, but it is outside of ourselves. It is not in ourselves, that's despair. It is outside of ourselves, that's hope. That's actually what the law was given to do. If you've seen the book of Galatians, it was given as like a guardian, or in some translations, kind of like a babysitter. It was given to us for a portion of time, for a whole lot of reasons. One was to display the holiness of God, the rights of God, teach Israel how to live and whatnot. It was also to expose sin that we might look to Jesus. Which is why Galatians says that it was given for a certain period of time until the arrival of Jesus, the one who fulfills the law. Hope was never found in man. Which is why God gave the God man. Right? This is exactly what God intended. Just think about the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into this world To save sinners. Christ comes from outside of us. And it is to Him that we are to look and hope and find salvation and deliverance. The answer to the problem, of course, is not in man, sinful man. It is in Jesus. And that's why Christ calls us to look to Him. Mark 2.17 puts it, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Which, friends, that is all of us. The same sinful stuff that is inside of you, even though you might despair right now over what you have done, that same sinful stuff is in all of us. The Bible says that we have all rebelled against our good and loving Creator. Even though He made us to live in a perfect relationship with Him, to know His love, to live underneath His good rule, to live in the place that He has given us where we dwell with Him, we said, we don't really care about you. Instead, I'm going to live for myself. That's what sin is, this lie of sinful autonomy where we cast off the so-called chains of living underneath God and His rule and His goodness, and instead we honor ourselves, live for our own pleasure. We are, as if it were, kings and queens of our own universe. And because of such treason, which we all know what treason is, building up our own kingdom when there is only one king The Bible says we earn the death penalty, even eternal death in hell, the Bible says. But this is where the good news is, right? If if that is, is the reality, that the same sinful stuff that is in me is in all of us, that's where the gospel comes into play. It is good news because God sees our situation and He answers it Himself. God knew what was going on in all of our hearts, and despite our sin... He sends Jesus Christ, His eternal Son, to take on flesh, to live the perfect life we should have, and to even die the death that we deserved. He died on the cross, paying our penalty so that everyone, everyone who would ever turn from their sin and believe in Him and trust in Him and submit to Him, would be saved and forgiven, reconciled to their Maker, and adopted into His family where we now know Him as Father, as Pastor Rocky prayed about and mentioned. And to secure these promises, not only did he die, but he got up from the dead, proving that the death penalty no longer is held over anyone who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Friends, if you're visiting with us and you're exploring Christianity, we're glad that you guys can join us, but that is the good news. We don't have to go very far to see that the world is sinful. We can turn on the television. We can read the news Or you can look at your own heart. God sees our situation, and the good news is that He answers it, not with man as Savior, but with the God-man, that is Jesus Christ, who dies on the cross for sin. That, friends, is great news. And God says, you too can receive this if you turn from your sin and believe on Him. Look to Christ, and you will be saved. Now, for the despairing, this too, of course... It is always great news for those feeling trapped in the muck of sinfulness or maybe even stuck in trying to work your way out of your sin problem. In the Gospel, we are called to raise our gaze, as one of my friends says, from ourselves, that's despair, where the answer is in man, always despair, and we raise our gaze to Christ where we have salvation. God knows exactly how sinful and unrighteous we are. And that, friends, is why he sent Christ, to be our righteousness. So to say, though I do understand this and have thought it myself, God would never forgive me because what I have done is actually to think salvation is based on what you do. But the hard reality is At the root of such thinking, if you have ever thought that, is, frankly, self-righteousness. At the end of the day, it's pride, right? Pride says, I can work my way to salvation. It also says, I am too bad to be saved. One is pride, where that one rises their chest, raises their chest. Pride also shows itself in self-pity, It's judging ourselves by some human standard of righteous morality, whether that comes from ourselves. I can't believe that I just did that. Or a standard of morality from outside, from others. They will reject me if they find out that I did what I did. All that is the standard of, have I done enough? When we do good, the lie is then we have justification to feel good about ourselves we even think that we can gain right standing before god just like the pharisees the jewish jewish leaders or if we do bad then we are out of right standing with god god would never forgive me for what i have done it's the, it's two sides of the same coin of self-righteousness But with the beginning of verse 13, God calls us to recognize that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and then to go to Christ with confidence, knowing that He is who He says He is. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is merciful. Turn over to Psalm 51, just to review really quickly what uh, Pastor Ron preached on last week. Psalm 51. Hopefully you were encouraged, as I was, as Ron was preaching, basically the character of God. Psalm 51, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to how much I give to the church, to how many good deeds I've done. I once met a guy who worked for a billionaire who basically eradicated malaria from an entire country. And he came to church, and he was kind of saying as he wasn't a Christian, he was kind of exploring Christianity, and he was proud that they actually did this. And in my mind, and the pastor's minds, we tried to help him over lunch to understand that, no, even man's best works are like dirty rags, the Bible says to God. It doesn't get you right with God. That's like having a child that says, I meticulously clean the bathroom. Parents, don't you love me? All the while, the, the child might not even care about what the parents really desire. A relationship, recognition of care and love and on and on. But, but the, the psalmist here, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, not according to my works, but according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Based on you, not me. It's not based on how much good we do or how much bad we have done, but it's based on the faithfulness of God to save. Praise the Lord for that. And so just as the hymn says, the lyrics of Rock of Ages says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I get that sometimes we can shock ourselves with our own sin, but praise the Lord, He is never shocked at our sin. He already knows. And friends, I hope you feel that, that, that that is actually incredibly freeing He is never shocked, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what you think about, no matter what you have done. God already knows, and friends, He has seen it before throughout all the generations. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. It's common. It's common to the Christian making excuses for their sin. of course, this continues as a warning. You know, those who say, you don't understand, I just had to sin, Paul warns them. You are not alone. You're not going through anything different compared to God's people and generations before. Not going through anything different that Cain did not go through, that David did not go through, that the Israelites did not go through, that Jonah did not go through as he struggled with bitterness. But to the Christian despairing, this verse brings comfort. You, friend, no matter what you have done, no matter what you struggle with, no matter how frequently you struggle with it, you, friend, are not alone. And you, are, you two are not going through anything different than God's people in generations before. Praise the Lord. He knows how to deal with it, even though we may not. It is good to see things the way that God sees them, and the same sinful stuff that is in you is in me, is in Pastor Rocky, is in all of us. Now, of course, we may not sin in the exact same way. Nevertheless, the heart of sin... The desires that come from the heart that give birth to sin that leads to death. That Pastor Marco preached, and in, isn't in every single one of us? For example, for example, take the sin of fearing man, being a man fear, which which I have experienced with, and you probably do too. We may all struggle with that heart sin, but you realize that it can manifest itself in so many different ways. So many different ways. First, take the married Christian gal, and by the way, with with all of these examples here, I'm not singling out anybody, I don't have anybody in mind here, But, but imagine the married Christian gal who so desperately doesn't want to be a disappointment again. She commits adultery with her boss because she doesn't want to let her boss down. If she lets him down, then she is a disappointment And on top of that, if she loses her job, then she loses the praise of her family who view her as the competent one. Maybe even the deliverer of their family. It's adultery, not because of carnality, maybe not at all, but because of the fear of man. Second, take the Christian who lies. We have all lied. Christian who lies, who creates this house of cards with a certain group of people, maybe many different groups of people, acting like a chameleon in the world, thinking that if they knew the real me, then they would never accept me. That's the fear of man, manifesting itself in lying. Take the Christian who neglects family for career. At work, I'm so respected by my coworkers, by my clients, by my company. But at home, I face ridicule for being a follower of Jesus over and over and over again. And soon he has functionally abandoned his family. Take the person who is too afraid to share Jesus with others simply for the sake of losing friends, family. They can't bear the thought of maybe going somewhere new and not fitting in, and so they decline from speaking of the glories of Jesus. That's four different outward manifestations of sin, right? Four sins. Sharing all the same sinful desires, which is to please man or fear man rather than God. So, you know, the reason why I bring this up is because we're trying to counsel ourselves. And this helps us kind of peel back the layers of the onion of sin that goes on in our hearts. And then as we help others do the same, we ought never assume that people sin because of the same reasons that we ourselves sin. Dave Pallison, he writes about it in this way. It's kind of like how you go to a movie theater and there might be 10 different movies showing at the same time. That's a bit like sin, he says. Sure, maybe at at screen number one, the largest, most obvious one, you might have X sin, But you come to realize when we're careful and and when we study the Bible enough that we know that sin presents itself in all sorts of different ways. We come to find out that, oh, there's number two, number three, number four, showing at the same time, and maybe even fueling number one. The temptation, the desire, and the sin, they are all, though, common to man. And again, I get that we can surprise ourselves in our sin, especially if our sinful desires manifest itself in some really ugly ways, but thank God none of this, friend, catches God off guard. I pray this is freeing for you as we gather here today as a church, as God's people, who by definition are God's people who are redeemed. Redeemed is like bought back from, drawn out of from something That's the power of sin. We, as Christians, according to the Bible, are those who recognize our need for the sovereign grace of God in Jesus. We need to see that the most important scale of righteousness is not man's scale of righteous morality. That doesn't help us at all before God, who is all righteous, because His scale is perfect righteousness. Christian, you realize that according to God's eyes, Gross immorality, however, you can imagine that, is equally offensive to self righteous morality. This is something we really need to be, we have to have ingrained in our mind. According to the Bible, gross immorality is equally as offensive as self righteous morality. That's why when Christ comes, He goes after the self-righteous Pharisees who fulfill the law and go above and beyond it. And He says they are condemned. Woe to the Pharisees. But He also says the same to those who are grossly immoral. Both say to God, I don't really care about you. Gross immorality says, I don't care about your holiness and law, so I don't need to live by it. I'm going to create my own. But religious, self-righteous morality in many ways says the same. Sure, maybe I'll take your law because, you know, my community that I hang out with all the time, they might use it and they might teach it and all this other stuff. But I'll go ahead and fulfill it myself because I can. Who needs the righteousness of Christ when I have my own, frankly? Both are equally offensive to God. So, friends, no matter where you might find yourself on the spectrum of man's morality, God calls you to see your sin and then to come to an end of yourself and then look to Christ, your righteousness, Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, for your sake, Christian, who feels like you are despairing, drowning in the sea of your sin. You're so discouraged. For your sake... God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we, you, might become the righteousness of God. No amount of human effort or works can solve our problem of having sinned against the Holy God. God knows this, which is why He provided the solution in Himself, His eternal Son. Isaiah 53.5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. In Christ, God calls us to see ourselves just as He sees us in absolute need whether you are the most upstanding citizen in the world or whether you are the most grossly immoral sinner of sinners, as Paul thought of himself as well. And when we realize and see ourselves as he sees us, then we are to and can raise our gaze to him as the Savior who is faithful to save. As our main idea says, in Christ we are never without hope. Despite our sinfulness, God is faithful to save. This brings us to point number two, God's faithfulness. We looked at point number one, our sinfulness. Point number two, God's faithfulness. Praise God, again, that despite our sinfulness, God is faithful. And we can, friends, joyfully count on Him to be faithful. No matter how unfaithful we have been, right? Not about us, all about God. No matter how unfaithful we have been, we can trust Him to be faithful. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. What does He do in His faithfulness? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Thank God he's faithful because if salvation were up to us, of course, no salvation would be secured and there would be no hope. Our salvation and sanctification is grounded in the absolute faithfulness of Jesus Christ, his covenant faithfulness, as Pastor Ron preached last week, his chesed or steadfast love. This is his covenant keeping love. Bible speaks of God as a husband. He enters into something of a covenant with his people, his bride. What makes God fulfill His covenant? It's His own steadfast love, His covenant faithfulness, which is seen most clearly in His promise to save in Jesus and His fulfillment to save, His fulfillment of His promises in Jesus Christ. And His fulfillment is amazing because in the Bible, we are repeatedly, or as people, are repeatedly wandering away. But yet, God is so faithful, constantly pursuing us, pursuing you, Christian, even in this sermon even in the songs, even in the prayer, holding out His truth to us, that He stands with arms wide open to His people and calls us to confess and to repent and find peace. In the face of our own spiritual adultery, He nevertheless pledges Himself over and over and over again in compassion, And the great promises, what I'm calling the great promises of the Old Testament, all of them find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ as evidence of God's faithfulness. In Genesis chapter 3, where many people say is the first promise of a gospel or the gospel, God promises that he would bring a man from the woman's line to crush the serpent. This clearly is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the God-man, as he defeats sin, death, and Satan. Colossians 2 18 said, God put evil powers to shame, triumphing over them in Christ by the cross. Also in Genesis, God of his own free and sovereign grace draws near to Abraham. Abram, pagan man living in a pagan land, and he promises that from him will come a blessing to the nations. That's Genesis 22, verse 18, according to Paul and Galatians 3. The offspring of blessing to the world is Christ. Second Samuel chapter 7, and in other places, God promises to send a righteous king because there is no king who can lead his people, right? The king is sinful, the people are sinful. We need another king. And so God promises that a righteous king will come to administer justice. This too is fulfilled in Jesus as he is the Davidic king to rule the people. His beloved son, he is the root of David. In Isaiah, God promises that he would send his righteous servant, and in a surprise, this king would suffer on behalf of his people and bear their sins as a substitute fulfilled in Jesus. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God promises to bring about this renewal that God's people had never seen before. And he promises this in other places, Isaiah and others. He promises this renewal, promising to give them new hearts, new spirits, new desires, which Rocky's going to preach on in two weeks. Christ pours out his Spirit upon his people this too is, has been fulfilled in Jesus, causing them to be born again. When you think of all of these promises to you, Christian, who might even now feel so weighed down by your sin, you feel that condemnation ungodly sense of condemnation even though Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when you think about God's faithfulness and his promises to save by his grace you should we should together help each other look to God and praise him and thank him for his mercy you are never beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace God is also faithful to sanctify If you're new to Christianity, sanctification is the process, the process which lasts our whole entire lives, where we grow to be more Christ-like by His Spirit and according to God's means. God, even right now, is using your experiences, no matter how difficult you may think they are. He's using your situations and your trials. And even even everything that has led to you sitting there holding all of the broken pieces of your life, wondering how it got to where it got. He's using the situations where you stare all of the consequences of your sin in the face. And He uses that to refine your faith so that you would love Him and trust Him all the more. The youth, the youth of our church have been going through James. This is what James chapter 1 says, verses 2 and 4 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing of course he's not talking about never sin he's talking about bringing about one's faith to perfection one day trusting in jesus 1 Peter 1-7, we know that God purifies our faith for the day of Jesus Christ to His praise and our good. God is testing us so that we would see what is in our own hearts and then find solution in Him. He already knows, but He's exposing to us what is in our own hearts that we might find solution in Him. And in the process, though, as nasty and difficult as it is, our false gods are exposed. And I'm going to define false gods as the things that we trust in in this world that fail us. He exposes our false idols and then He helps us repent and turn from them in order to find satisfaction in Jesus. So friends, think about the trials in your own lives right now that you guys may be going through. Think about your discontentment. That maybe leads to anger or despair because you can't seem to get that job you've wanted, that one that you've worked so many years for. Could God be telling you that your worth is not in what you do, but in the fact that you are a child of God by grace through faith in Christ? Another example. Maybe people haven't turned out the way that you had hoped they would. Maybe your own children. Maybe your own grandchildren. And because of that, you face discouragement and despair, maybe even a certain hopelessness. Could God be reminding you that hope is not found in how well-adjusted your children are? or even whether they believe in Christ while you are alive. Maybe, just maybe, God has a different plan for your child, but one that doesn't work according to your schedule. And God is calling you now to trust in Him and to rely on Him, not only for your life, but for your child's. Another one, maybe you wrestle with the dark desires that you just can't seem to get rid of. The ones you think about for and long after seemingly all the time. Could God be telling you that your solution is not found inside of even your own competent self, your mind, or your actions? but in Christ who came to save sinners and then also having your church community share your burdens with you in all these situations trials and temptations god intends for intends to expose your functional idols to see friends just how unfaithful they are just how unfaithful you are to yourself how your family at some point in time and at the end of the day will let you down. They can't deliver you from death. God is exposing all of these things to us that we might find Christ and seek solution in Him. Why would we want to live in, in that sin for decades? For in that fiction, why would we want to live in that fiction for decades? And here God is currently right now exposing and helping us that we might live this life to the praise of His glory. As difficult as the battle may be, God calls us to trust in Him and have confidence, right? He is faithful. What does He promise? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but He will provide a way of escape, He says. That means if you feel discouraged right now or despairing because of your struggle, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able but he will provide a way of escape. Now, as we think about provide a way of escape, when he says that, it does not mean that God is going to miraculously remove the temptations from your life through a miracle, like some sort of secret passageway so that you can remain faithful to God. That would be a really unhelpful way to understand this. Our passage gives no indication that we should think this. The New Testament gives no indication that we should think this. In the context of the passage, do you know how Paul helps them to exit temptation, a way of escape or exit path. Those are both equally good translations of the Greek word there. His advice is not wait until God miraculously gives you a secret passageway out of it. No, to those who are given to idolatry, he gives them God's command, flee idolatry and a promise that we are to cling to and live according to. God is faithful. But he commands there in verse 14, flee idolatry. Simple command that they are responsible to work out So let me be clear, the exit path, the escape in the temptation is the option to choose Christ, the option to be faithful. The point is, is you always, we always have the option to choose faithfulness to the despairing who might say, I'm so bad. God will never forgive me now. I might as well continue to sin. The biblical response is no don't give in god is faithful he forgives you he forgives all who come to him now choose christ and be faithful to the hard-hearted who might be tempted to say we simply had no choice we had to sin our situation was so bad the biblical response is no we never have to sin god is faithful you will always have a choice a way to be faithful in jesus Okay, so what does this look like practically? What is the exit path? Let's take the example for battling lust on the computer or on your phone. In terms of an escape or an exit path, don't passively sit there expecting God to miraculously make a cloud cover your screen so you don't sin. Sin has already taken place in your heart. Don't expect God to somehow cut off your internet every single time you are tempted. Your exit path is according to 1st 2 2nd Timothy 2:22 2, flee from lust and pursue righteousness. And then we as a Christian community get to work that out. What does that look like in our lives? You could take your cues from Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember his exit path when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. What did he do? He literally ran away. Christian, that is a legitimate exit path. Run away. You guys, let's say new high school grads, you're about to head off to college, and let's say you're going to go live there. There will be guys, girls, no matter if you're going to college, there will be those of the opposite sex, maybe the same sex, who will throw themselves at your feet. What's the option? Run away. That's what Joseph did. He's a pretty godly guy. God took care of him. Here's other ways that you can help or other things that will help you in your escape. These are all just basic things, right? Study what God has to say about lust and how we ought to treat people made in His image. Study what we should do with our minds, how it is that that God says our minds can be renewed. You can memorize Scripture. You can pray. You can seek accountability with your Christian family. Other basic wisdom that you can get from the Christian community. Maybe you'll come up with things like only using your laptop in public. And these, by the way, are all things that people I have known have done. Only using your laptop in public. You can leave your computer at work and just not take it home. You could, in fact, get a dumb phone. You could even give your loved one the power to lock and unlock your computer and all of your other devices. We could go on what's the what's the exit path for bitterness for anger for rage for lying for gambling for intrusive thoughts the way of escape is choosing faithfulness and the foundation for walking in such faithfulness comes through hearing and heeding the word of god it comes through prayer and it comes through seeking wisdom from other christians in your church community but if you are again despairing over your sin Christian let me encourage you the great first step of bringing your sin and temptation or wrestling with sin and temptation is simply to bring it to the light it's just to bring it to the light confess your sin to God pray for strength to turn like we saw in Psalm 51 and then seek help from other Christians Enlist your brothers and sisters to help you in your battle, to help you bear your burdens with you, those brothers and sisters who will minister the gospel to you. And these gospel truths minister God's forgiveness to you, God's compassion to you, His mercy to you, and even rebuke when necessary. So if you currently feel like you are up to your neck in sin and you have not shared specifics with anybody, bring your sin into the light. Bring your sin into the light. Find someone you trust, someone who you know loves you and wants the best for you spiritually and let yourself be known. Seek accountability in your regular friendships and you you might have to approach these relationships thinking and knowing no temptation has overcome me. That is not common to man. Yes, you might sin in different particular ways, but the same stuff that is in you is in all of us. Seek accountability in your regular friendships and confess your sin. And if you don't know anyone in the church, come talk to the pastors. We would love to try our best to link you up with some other people here at Evergreen where you could grow in godliness in these particular ways. And as you battle against sin and fight to trust and choose Jesus every single time, remember that Christ always gives you a way out. You never have to sin. The martyrs provide us an example, though extreme as it may seem to us here in America at this particular age, at this particular time, the martyrs provide us an example as they chose Christ and were faithful. Revelation twelve eleven. how is it that they conquered the, the evil one? <clears throat> how is it that they conquered the evil one? Quote, through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, that is the gospel. This is what it says. Four. They loved not their lives even unto death. Even in death, God is faithful. And He brings His people all the way home. No matter the situation we face, God is faithful to give grace in our battle. And with Him, we always have hope. As our passage says, He will never let us be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. Now, we may not feel that this is so, but this is, in fact, nevertheless true. With his infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom, he is walking with us, never letting us be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. And with the temptation, he will, in fact, help us, give us a way out to choose Christ and bear. help us bear up under the temptation as he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. To conclude, it's only through trusting in and relying upon our faithful God, only through that is it possible to get to a place where we can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Our good, your good and faithful Father is right here with you, with us, helping us see more clearly the glories of Jesus in the gospel, helping us love Him and trust Him and choose Him. With Christ, we are never without hope. Despite our sinfulness, praise the Lord. He is faithful to save, faithful to sanctify. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you that you are who you say you are. And your faithfulness reaches beyond the heavens we thank you God that we can trust in you because we know we cannot trust ourselves we thank you Lord that you are in fact with us and Jesus Christ you give us the example in which we are to walk example in which we are to battle We know, Lord, that you too were tempted, but you knew no sin. You were perfect. You are perfect. Lord, we know we are not, but we thank you, God, for your spirit that is continually making us holy, making us more Christ-like. Lord, we pray for those here today who feel overwhelmed by their sin. We pray, Lord, that by your grace, you would take these truths and minister to their hearts in new and fresh ways according to your Spirit, reminding them about the truth of your character and the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would help us always look outside of ourselves. And when we might be tempted to look so inwardly be tripped up because of our own struggles, or our own sinfulness, having stared it right in the face for so long and so many times. Lord, we pray that You would, in fact, raise our gaze. We thank You, Lord, that this is exactly what You call us to do as You came into the world to save us as sinners. Help us trust more and more, and You help us boast in the cross, never in our own works. In Your name we pray. Amen.